Hi, everyone. My name is Margarita Lyadova, and I'm the host of the We The Women podcast. Today, I'm super excited to interview Arielle Kaplan, who is a legendary Jewish sex-positive influencer, most known for her Instagram page, at Horgasmic. She creates raunchy educational content for a multitude of online communities. Based in Brooklyn, Arielle hosts a weekly tour video series for Alma. She co-hosts Oral History, a new podcast on seductresses. She produces a weekly newsletter, The Whorehouse, and she sells clothing on her new store, Thotchki. Okay, well, enough for me. Let's hear from Ariel. Ariel, please tell us about yourself. What do you do and how did you get there? Hi, Margarita. Thank you so much for having me on the pod. I'm really, really excited to talk to you today. You basically said everything that I do. People like to call me a content creator, and I really hate that word because it's like, you know, what influencers on like The Bachelor call themselves, but it's really what I do. I just make content that's educational, raunchy. I got my start at a Jewish media company, so I do a lot of Jewish stuff, but I made Horgasmic, the sexual online community on my own, and so my passion really lies in human sexuality, and so I just kind of try to intertwine the two in whatever I'm doing and trying to make Torah and Jewish education as ex- as accessible as possible, and I feel that sexy is accessible. Amazing. And I want to pick that apart a little bit more. So you've recently started your own business and you've grown so many different social platforms. What is that experience like? How did you learn what you needed to learn in order to do these things? So after I graduated college, which is where I got my, or I found my interest in human sexuality because my school, Indiana University, is home of the Kinsey Institute, which is one of the biggest sex research uh, institutes in the world. And so when I graduated, I started working at the tab, which is this college student run news site. So I would manage like 10 different teams of schools. I mean, it was kind of like Barstool meets your student newspaper. And we disseminated the news on Instagram. So I learned how to monetize and grow accounts. And so when I was laid off from my job about like eight months in, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to make my own Instagram account and do what I would do. And that's how I came up with Horgasmic with my roommate. She ended up going to business school. So I did it on my own. And at first it was just really like, I face wasn't attached to it at all. I was just trying to break things down. But I learned that through creating the account, people really just want to talk to a person and not just like a business account. So I learned how to be very authentic. And then it just kind of turned into an influencer thing. So now I am my page. And I think my page is still a lot of memes. And people sometimes don't really know that I'm a girl running the account. I get DMs like, hello, admin, girl, boy. And I'm like, my name is fucking in the bio, dude. (laughs) I learned the best techniques by practice. But like, I really got my start at the tab. So even though they laid me off, and I was very upset by that, it did turn into this massive thing for me. And is it as easy or hard as people think to run a viral Instagram? It's pretty hard. It's very time consuming. I grew my account fairly quickly. I've just had it for two years. In both years, I've grown up between 30 and 40K. Right now I'm at like 78. And it took a lot of talking to people, talking through their problems, which is like a lot of emotional labor. And I ended up getting burnt out at a certain point, which is why I actually just left my full-time 
media job at my the Jewish media company that I still freelance for because I needed to be able to devote more time to the community itself. So like you can grow a viral account just by posting tweets and memes, but I add a human aspect to it, which creates like a much higher engaged account because people are really connecting with a person and not just a joke. That's so cool. And tell me more about being a sex influencer. What does your work focus on? Hmm. (laughs) I feel when people hear sex influencer, they think, oh, she's a sex worker. I'll say I dabble in sex work as in like, you know, if a man wants to pay me money for a nude or even in the past before I started selling nudes, men would just like give me money, (laughs) which sounds crazy, but it just happened. But really what I do is I review sex toys. I go to, well, before COVID, I would go to sex tech events, learn about the women in sex tech, which has become so booming right now. I answer people's questions about human sexuality. And I'm not a sex expert, so I have no formal training. And so someone asks me like, you know, they have something oozing out of their vagina. I'll be like, well, it could be this, it could be this. And then I always end it with, I'm not an expert, go to a doctor, see a gynecologist, check that out. Here's the knowledge I have. I learn as I go. And I think that's what makes everything so appealing because I'm just a normal person. I'm not the best sex ever. Or no, I am good at sex, but I don't know everything. And also a misconception is like, I have a very difficult time orgasming with a partner. When I started sharing that on orgasmic, I kind of felt like a fraud because people think you know, I'm, I'm the best of the best, but I'm not, I'm just like anyone else. And I'm just kind of like, you know, Carrie Bradshaw, except R rated. So that's, I'm just trying to destigmatize human sexuality and help people orgasm and help myself. And that's basically what I do. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. And something that I want to ask you about, because I think you would be really knowledgeable on these recent events. What I want to talk to you about is OnlyFans. OnlyFans mm-hmm. as a platform has become very popular. And actually recently there was this whole scandal where Bella Thorne was supposed to sell a video of herself nude and a bunch of people paid for it. And then she didn't sell a nude video. So people started asking for refunds and OnlyFans had cash flow issues trying to refund the people. And now they've capped the maximum amount of money that you can charge for a video or a picture. And it's very upsetting to sex workers because they can't make as much money anymore. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into this. So you can tip posts and then you can purchase things. I'm not sure if there is a limit on like what you can purchase, but basically now I think the tipping is capped at $50 where in in the past, you know, I don't know what it would be up to. When Bella first joined, I know a lot of sex workers were upset. I talked to two other women who are in like the sex sphere, Remy Casimir um, and Lorraine Joe of Slutty Girl Problems. We had a conversation about this and we were thinking, you know what, this could actually be an amazing thing for OnlyFans, for sex workers as someone who's, uh, you know, a celebrity is making this mainstream. You're like, you know, best case scenario, People go and sign up for Bella's OnlyFans, people who never would have thought to go to an OnlyFans before. And then because they sign up for her, they'll sign up for other sex workers. So I think at first people thought, oh, she's taking work away from other people. But it's like, you know, I have a podcast and you have a podcast, but they're totally different podcasts. And, you know, 
it's not stealing work. People offer different products. So I didn't think of it that way until she scammed everyone by like not actually sharing uh, a nude video. And then she, and I think her little sister or older sister really leaned into just being horrible people and were making a mockery of sex workers. And they were just basically like, we did this so easily, like you're a whore and we can do what we want and make money um, however we want. Sex work is easy. So I think that they're really fucked up. I think that was terrible. I gave them the benefit of the doubt or Bella Thorne the benefit of the doubt and she really disappointed everyone and it's not a good look. And what I really like is that a lot of men have been like, I don't really know about OnlyFans, but all of my girlfriends are upset at Bella Thorne, so I hate Bella Thorne now, too. I guess they're pissed at Bella for what she did, too, so maybe that's a whole other thing there, but I, I thought it was sort of sweet how men were coming to the sex workers' aid, at least in the channels that I saw. Wow, that's very interesting. And for OnlyFans as a platform, it's kind of new, and people are still figuring it out. What do you think is the future of the platform, or like how has it impacted the world of sex? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it has really disrupted pornography. Ethical porn is having a moment right now. And that's like a production company or just a sole person doing sex work pornography who, where you know that you're putting your money in there, that everything is done ethically. That means that the performers do everything consensually and that they're in control of what's going on and that they're also being paid well. Pornhub has been under fire lately because not only do they have like their premium channels and stuff, but it's also user aggregated. So amateurs or anybody can upload a video. It doesn't even have to be sexual. It's kind of like YouTube. And there's a lot of sex trafficking and sexual assault videos that are put on there. So that's really, really terrible. And people are confused, like, okay, if I can't go on Pornhub, where do I go? Well, it's ethical porn. But then it's also like, you don't always know if ethical porn is ethical because there's this company, uh, Lust Cinema, who I worked with recently. They paid me to do an ad. It was my biggest deal ever. I'll tell you, it was $1,000. That was a huge deal for me at the start of COVID. Or actually, it was around when the BLM protests were, were just starting up. And I got a slew of messages from people saying that she was not ethical. I researched more on it, and I ended up donating all the funds to the sex workers outreach project and this performer of color who is involved in a lawsuit against Erica Lust for sexual assault. So all the waters there are like very murky, but I just knew it was important to my community that I do something. So I did. And and where this is leading to is with OnlyFans, because it's performers who are making their own account, you know that that is the most ethical. So I think people, especially during COVID, were turning to OnlyFans looking for kind of that girlfriend experience or just like they're horny. And now their money is going there. They may not be watching Pornhub or some unethical porn as much as they used to. It's great timing right now in this moment when everyone's just trying to be a better person. I'm hoping that the future of OnlyFans expands beyond sex workers because it wasn't made for sex work. It was a platform that sex workers saw that was safe for them because there's usually a lot of issues with payments and stuff uh, when you're in that line of work. But you can be a chef and be like, yo, I'm putting all my tips on OnlyFans, subscribe, $3.99 a month, and you can get all this stuff. So I'm hoping that it just becomes mainstream. I'm hoping that 
the fact that OnlyFans has permeated the public eye works to destigmatize sex work in general. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome and super interesting. So I want to pivot a little bit more to like your Jewish identity. But before I do that, I have kind of one question to seal this chapter. And that Mm -hmm. is, I'm going to jump to the conclusion that many people listening to this podcast aren't well-versed in the world of sex and aren't necessarily educated. I'm learning things for the first time for myself. What do you wish people knew? About sex work? Yeah. I guess that it's, it's hard work and you need a platform. People see how, they see the easy stuff that circulates online, tweets about OnlyFans, like what people bought with their OnlyFans money, but they had to work really hard for that. And people think it's not difficult because it's just sex, but like, it really is. Not only do you have to be good at taking photos and like consistently posting content, I mean, you're running this, like it is a social media strategy. You have to market yourself. You have to have a platform to market yourself too. You have to be safe. You have to have thick skin and not take shit from anyone when you know your own worth. You're really an entrepreneur. It's harder than being employed by someone else when you're making your own decisions, you're making your own content. And it's just a very sensitive line of work as it has been forever. So I wish like Bella Thorne really harmed this uh, misconception or strengthened it, I mean, by laughing it off as though it was so easy for her. But the thing is she had this huge platform to market to. That's why she made $2 million overnight. And then she laughed it off and was like, ha, see guys, sex work is easy. But like, it's only because she had that platform. When you're that huge, you can do stuff like that. Another big thing that I wish people knew is that the top ideal for a sex worker is that she is doing it or they are doing it not because they need the money, but because they want to, that they genuinely like it. When someone is doing it because they need money, that's a bad situation. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you for educating us on this topic. (laughs) Of course. Okay, so now to the Jewish portion of your life. Like a very avid, very developed Jewish identity. You've dedicated a lot of time and energy to serving the Jewish community. So talk to me about how being Jewish has affected your outlook on life, your career, everything in that regard. Okay, I'm smiling. That was so sweet. Thank you. Everything I do is Jewish. I feel... I feel so annoying to my Jew- my non-Jewish friends for just talking about it so much. But then I see other tweets online of people being like, I can't go five minutes without telling, like screaming in someone's face that I'm Jewish. And I just, that's how I feel. I want it. I want everyone to know all the time. You know, I wear t-shirts with Megan David, Star of David, like on my, on my tits, you know, like a titty type shirt. Like sometimes I feel a little bit afraid walking outside, but then I'm like, no, I want everyone to know how proud I am. And so the, the way that Judaism touches every aspect of my life is I try to just be righteous among the nations, right? That's like the whole concept of Judaism. We are the holy nation. We prioritize education. We prioritize helping those in need, tzedakah. And what I really do for the Jewish community is targeting them and celebrating lore and myth, you know, Torah, I don't read the Torah and like really believe it. I mean, they're all made up stories, but they teach valuable lessons. And even in the sexist parts of the Torah, what that's showing us is like what the people at the time were trying to do. 
what they were trying to say. That doesn't mean that we have to uphold those values today. I think that the way that Judaism has evolved over these 2000 years is when you distill it, it is just like being a good fucking person and being proud of who you are. And my family, so I have three older brothers, my, my parents are divorced, but my mom was very adamant about my siblings and me having this Jewish education. And I think when I was going through Jewish day school, I didn't pay attention to any of my rabbinics or Tanakh classes. I just really wasn't about it. And now I have like a reinvigorated sense or desire to connect with those stories because they're what made us who we are today. So I think humor making light of situations, processing grief through humor, educating in a funny way, uh, and being proud of who I am, not only being a Jew, but be like marching to the beat of my own drummer. I think I'd always felt really othered when I was younger because I was overweight. I went to fat camp. I never felt othered because I was Jewish because I was immersed in so many Jewish communities. But I heard of the anti-Semitism. And I mean, you know, you grow up learning about the Holocaust. It's all we can ever fucking talk about. And it's like enough, but no, because never again. And so I have to keep telling those stories. And now I just feel so excited and passionate about it, even more so than, you know, sex influencing. I think the older I get, I just want to reignite the fire in every Jew who has assimilated just a little bit too much. And that's why I think like podcasts like yours and projects like these are so important because whatever, we don't need to like directly be on the front lines of fighting anti-Semitism. But if we show that Jewish people are cool and all the cool shit about us, I think that in a sense fights anti-Semitism. Yeah. Thanks for all the work that you do. And I have so many questions like after hearing what you had to say. I know you wrote an incredible piece about your summer at fat camp. Can you talk to me about that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I went to Camp Pocono Trails. That was aired on MTV for two seasons under, I think it was just called Fat Camp MTV. I went when I was 14, so the summer going into ninth grade. And I was just like a chubby kid. I wasn't like obese, but my parents are doctors. They were really worried that I was going to get diabetes. So they sent me there and it was the best fucking summer of my life. And I went there, I think for seven-ish years. There actually were a ton of Jews there and I led like Shabbat services. One time I did the Tisha B'Av fast, which is the fast for the destruction of the second temple. And I only did it because I didn't want to do exercise that day. So like instead of exercise, I just didn't eat, which wasn't really that great of a toss up. But um, anyway, I found a Jewish community there, not in the sense that they were Jews, but that I felt welcomed because I had gone to a Jewish camp before that. And the girls were all just kind of like baby Japs, like Jewish American princesses and very skinny, very, you know, all wearing tie dye, whatever. And I wanted to be like them just so badly. And I think the last summer I was there, I actually did find a group of friends. So I was really upset to go to fat camp. But once I was at fat camp, I was like, wow, I didn't know what like having real friends was like, that these people share the pain that I have and that we can bond over personal trauma, which is like, you know what Jews do. So it was really cool going there. And I'm still best friends with a ton of my camp friends and we still talk all the time. But honestly, camp has gone to shit Um, and it was always pretty crazy there because the owner is like a tyrant and he's already banned me from camp which is why I'm gonna talk freely about it right now but yeah I don't know if you wanted me to talk about like the contraband there or anything but if you have any special requests 
Yeah. <laughs> Tell us all. Okay. So there's a movie called Heavyweights starring Ben Stiller. His name is Tony, which is the same name as the owner of my camp. And we used to watch a movie like twice a summer. And we're pretty sure that the movie was based on our camp. And so in the movie, you'll see like a lot of crazy stuff that happens, but it's not so different than what my camp was like. Like boy side and girl side operated very differently where in on girl side, you know, no taking double snacks, like you can't cheat, you don't get more food. So basically you get weighed in every week on a Sunday and they record how much weight you lost. If you have reached your goal, you get a yellow bracelet and that's called a maintenance bracelet. And then you can like, if you want extra food, you can get that. Um, so everything's pretty, pretty regulated. And then besides the two big workouts that we do a day, it's really just like any other camp. But then on boy side, they're crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> the counselors would have these Wawa runs at night when they were sitting OD, like guarding the bunks, and they would get like 15 sandwiches and shuttle them onto campgrounds, which is totally illegal. And then they would also give them to kids sometimes, which is the worst thing you can do. You can get fired for that. You can get fired for just having food in your bunk. So there's a lot of sneakiness going around. A lot of counselors, we you know, were like drinking and doing shady shit, which I don't think is so different from other camps. But there was this one time that a counselor who, who used to be my bunk mate, she fed peanut butter to a camper who was allergic to nuts. So that, I think the counselor was fired, but that camper who, A, wasn't supposed to be eating peanut butter anyway, and peanut butter is banned on our grounds, she gets allergic reaction. So the whole thing is like, you know, out there. It was such a scandal. Oh my goodness. So much drama at the fat camp. (laughs) (laughs) That is a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing that. And that is something that's truly unique. And I know that from the conversations we've had, I feel like you have such a good grasp of like your own identity and you make people feel so good about their bodies and you've really gone on a journey i feel like to get there and this fat camp has played a role in it for you so end all be all would you say it served you well to have gone oh my god yeah i don't have any regrets in life i'd certainly have had a lot of shitty things that have happened and you know, I've had to gone through bad situations to get to the good ones but that's just what life is about so like yeah, I got, I, when I first went to fat camp, I was really embarrassed about it. Um, or I think right like before I went to the camp, I told my friends to keep it a secret. And when I came back, you know, I was really hot. I got my braces off. So people knew like something happened. And then I was just proud of it because I didn't care. Like these were my people, my friends. I'm not going to be embarrassed or hide it anymore. I also got a breast reduction surgery a year ago my breasts were lopsided and that was something that i hadn't been able to come to terms with i think until this year so when i was 25 i just always felt like a horrible ugly monster and that you know if i was hooking up with a guy like they just must be a king a a prince charming to be with someone like me and camp really helped me overcome insecurities like those and then when I got, I got the breast reduction on, on one breast and then it actually grew back. So I'm not even right now, but I think just all of the journeys that I've had and also largely in part to Lil Dicky's new show, Dave, cause he has like stuff about his penis that's like messed up or his insecurities about his penis. I shouldn't say messed up and seeing someone like that own his shit 
helped me. And so I imagine that the way that I can overcome my insecurities helps other people who might identify with someone like me too. Damn, this is deep. It's getting deep. (laughs) It always does. (laughs) And I want to switch gears just a little bit because I think this is a fascinating project you do. And it kind of brings us back to the Jewish theme. I want to ask you about your Torah video series. (gasps) What has been the response? Because you make Torah education hilarious. You bring a sense of irony to it. You're one of a kind in that. I don't see many people doing that. So I'd love to hear what is that project like? What has been the response and so on and so forth? Thank you for asking. No one has asked me that before. It has been fucking amazing. I love it so much. And it's just crazy because, again, I told you when I was in high school, I was not paying attention to class. But that was probably a fault on the teachers and the administration rather than the content itself if it was taught you know, the way that I'm teaching, I would have been interested in. Those are the comments that I get and the feedback that I receive, which is amazing. A lot of Hebrew school teachers watch it to prepare for their classes. People tell me they show their rabbis, their Orthodox families. And some people say like, oh, I wish I could show this to my like Chavruta, my Torah study group, but they would plots. And I'm like, whatever, show it to them anyway. Like, it's cool to see a different side of this. It takes a lot of effort to make these videos and I enjoy every minute of it except for the part where I have to edit my face for the first time because I'm trying to find a studio space in my apartment. I live in a small apartment in Brooklyn so it's kind of difficult and no one likes to like look at themselves but even though it's annoying, I do think that has also aided in my, you know, confidence having to look at myself all the time. The best part about this has been the reception from people who never went to Hebrew school or those who did and rejected Judaism and now are like, oh, this is a cool way to relearn it. So what I do is I'll read the Torah portion on Safaria, shout out Safaria, in English and Hebrew. Um, And then I look at all of the commentary and a lot of the commentary, I'm just like, what? Like, what are you saying? So I make my own commentary because it doesn't matter that I'm not a rabbi. Like I can say whatever the fuck I want. And Judaism is about questioning things. So who's to say that I can't add something in there that I want? So what I try to include in every video is a little takeaway, especially for those who are not observant and who don't connect with the laws. And I try to explain everything like, like as though it's a story, not that this is what we have to follow and believe in, but we should know the Torah, like the religious scroll, because that is so, it's the nucleus of Judaism. Whether you believe it or not, it's still central. And the way that the Jewish identity and community has evolved all started with that nucleus and I think I just want people to know what it is whether that's raunchy or in like a yeshiva just as long as people know the stories I got you so I have just a couple more questions for you before we turn it over to the questions submitted anonymously Mm -hmm. the first question I have for you is do you have some kind of inspiration like what inspires you or who inspires you I think my family inspires me a lot my mom who got divorced when she was or when i was eight i don't know how old she was but she had you know four kids single mom i did feel abandoned when i was younger because my mom went back to school to earn her psychoanalysis degree and i didn't understand at the time like why 
that was so important to her. But now looking back, I just see her as this bad bitch who was able to take care of her four children while also pursuing her dream. And my family raised me to march to the beat of my own drummer. I mean, that's just a line that my mom said constantly. And when I was little, I fucking hated that. But two of my brothers are doctors. One of them is an actor and he's he has his own business thing going on too. And I'm now appreciating my family for supporting me and my siblings in whatever we do as long as we're passionate about it you know they'll support it and so I find that type of support is what really pushes me to do what I do and I'm so lucky and I know how fortunate I am because not everybody has family members like that you know we do have our own you know dirty laundry and whatever but at the heart of it, we all just want what's best for each other. And that comes with all of the embarrassing stuff or things we don't really want to talk about. But where there's love, there is freedom. I know that sounds so lame. But yeah, my, my brothers are such amazing Jewish people and they teach me stuff all the time. And I think I really just want to impress my family. And maybe that's kind of what pushes me along. That is very interesting. And I feel like that is core to Jewish values, like the idea of having family and being close with family. So it's like, it comes full circle for sure. Totally. And then the last question I have for you before we turn it over to the anonymous ones, it's one that I ask every speaker. What advice would you give to women dealing with the world as it is today? Ooh, uh, What did other people say? I'm just kidding. Hmm. I would say to march to the beat of your own drummer. Do what you fucking want to do as long as it is rooted in love, kindness, and compassion. We shouldn't be self-serving, but if you can find a way to build yourself up while also helping other people, I think that's what's most important positive communication and not being gaslit. So (laughs) be careful of that, Jewish women of the world. On brand, on brand answer. Thank you for (laughs) sharing that. Okay, so now some questions from the listeners. The first one is, do you think Jewish women or Judaism in general has a unique take on sexuality? I don't know if I can say unique because I don't know about every other religion's attitudes towards sexuality. What I do know is, you know, Catholicism, Christianity is very repressed. As I'm learning more Torah, I learned that Judaism does value female pleasure. A woman can file for a Jewish divorce if her husband is not like sexually satisfying her, which is really dope. But there are also a lot of other things that I prefer to gloss over in the Torah that aren't so feminist or sex positive. But I think at the root of it, it is about the Jewish attitude towards sexuality is, you know, communication, mutual pleasure. But then there's also that huge emphasis on procreation. So I think if you can separate those two and cherry pick the values you want to take, there is a cool value there in Judaism. But I think every religion has its flaws, especially because I believe that most religions are rooted in the patriarchy's wish to diminish the matriarchy or just women in general. And so the laws that were written in the Torah were to reflect those attitudes and to push women down, but they still, you know, snuck in some like good values there. You know, I love the oral sex stuff. (laughs) That's hilarious. Thanks for sharing that. 
the next question is, what is one piece of advice you have for women on their sexuality? That's a pretty broad question. I think to not compare yourself to anybody, to do what feels good, you know, as long as everything is like kosher and consensual, don't do something that you don't want to do, do things that you want to do again, barring all like legal activity and communicate, communicate your sexuality when you're ready, communicate with your partners. I think communication in Judaism is a big value and that is just like, you can't have good sex unless you're communicating. Awesome. And the next question is, what is your favorite social platform to be on right now? Okay, this is a hard one because I'm an influencer on Instagram, but I actually like Twitter way more, but I get stuck in these like Instagram loops, you know, when you're just switching through all the apps and I have like four different Instagram accounts and I just keep looking at them. But the thing is, I'm not even really looking at other people's content. I'm, I scroll through like, I don't know, a minute or so, look through some stories. And then I pretty much just stare at my own content, which is like pretty weird. I think Twitter is cooler because of the conversations and it's, especially for Jewish Twitter is amazing. But since COVID, I've lost the two hours in my commute that I usually would dedicate to Twitter. So I would say Twitter is my favorite, but Instagram is what I'm on more now. And I'm just like addicted to it and I'm trying to break the habit. Are you on TikTok? Not really. I'm scared of it. I don't blame you. It's it's quite the place these days. Yeah. Okay. And the last question is, ooh, I like this one. Do you have a dream job? My dream job? Okay, yes. My dream job is to be doing this Torah series. I want to teach a Torah class for like Gen Z slash millennials and just be paid so much money to do that without having to go to school. (laughs) I don't think that is possible. So it's truly a dream job. Well, that was the question, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a realistic job. It was a dream. (laughs) Yeah, so there you have it. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate your answer. Okay, Ariel. Well, those were all the questions. It looks like we've made it to the end. Before we say goodbye to our listeners, are there any last words, last thoughts you want to share? Yes. I was thinking about the, what would I say to women about their sexuality again? Everybody should learn how to orgasm on their own and get a good sex toy if you don't know how to masturbate. And if you need advice on a sex toy, you can DM me at Orgasmic or at BuffyFangirl94 on Instagram. And I hope that my words helped someone and gave some sort of clarity and my, my Instagram DMs are open for all. Slide into her DMs. Yeah. And Margarita, thank you so much for having me on. I love talking to you and I'm really excited to hear this episode. Of course. Thank you.